Hello and welcome to Everyday Sublime. This is your host, Josh Summers, and it is great to have you here. In this podcast, my Everyday Sublime podcast, I try to share Dharma, Dharma themes, Dharma stories, Dharma reflections in a talk each week. I try to share a in-depth interview with an esteemed guest on some relationship of the waking up, growing up, and cleaning up process. And a new feature of the talk, which I'm excited about, is that I'll be sharing short, informal conversations with my partner, Terry Coburn, where we are going to be responding to answers and themes that are coming up in our teaching um, that relate to the cultivation of chi. And we're calling those mini-conversations chi chats. So stay tuned for chi chats in your feed. Um, but in this particular episode, in this talk, I um, shared some thoughts I have around the heart of human conflict. Uh, and if you're paying attention to anything, you know that human conflict is um, alive, unfortunately, and, and pathologically ablaze in the world right now. And it's hard on multiple levels. And I'm trying to share some reflections around how our Dharma practice um, is really at the root, or uh, I should say our Dharma practice addresses the root of these conflicts. So I hope you enjoy this talk. Uh, I got some good feedback from members of the Sangha, and I'd be very interested in hearing what your thoughts are. You can um, send, me, send me an email at josh at joshsummers.net if you ever have any uh, feedback for me. But I want to say before I give you the talk that if you would like support, if you'd like support in your practice, if you'd like to be part of um, something that gives you tools, gives you uh, opportunities to strengthen contemplative skills, spiritual skills of embodiment, spiritual skills of chi cultivation, energy cultivation, and ultimately spiritual skills of heart and mind capacities for wisdom and compassion, then check out our Riverbird Sangha. We give you a two free week trial because we're pretty confident you'll enjoy what you get, both in terms of whether you come to our live classes each week over Zoom, or if you avail yourself of the large bank of classes in our library. And I just want to flag that because we get emails constantly from people saying, "It's thank, I'm so grateful for your library, they say. People say, uh, you know, your, your, the library of classes gives me so many ideas for how uh, I can bring certain themes into my own teaching. So there's a lot of teachers uh, in, our, in our community that um, come and borrow or, you know, absorb our themes and, and bring them into their own teaching. And we also have people that are just sincere practitioners, have no intention of teaching. And um, we're really happy to be able to offer uh, material and resources and practices for both both groups. Um, so if you'd like any of that, do check it out in the show notes. Uh, Terry and I have a training coming up called Purifying Water, the Flow of Qi Cultivation. This is the third module of five in our new Yin Yoga and Qi Cultivation training, where we move beyond the basics of Yin Yoga. We move beyond the kind of the, what I cover in the what, why, and how of yin yoga, and we really get into how does yin yoga intersect or how does yin yoga integrate with a variety of other practices and tools to offer a integral, comprehensive life practice of growing up, cleaning up, 
and ultimately waking up. Um, so if any of that's of interest, check out the show notes. We'd love to practice with you. And um, without further ado, here is today's talk, The Heart of Human Conflict. Good day, good morning, welcome to all of you to our Monday meditation session. Um, it's a lot I'd like to try to cover this morning. And one of the things I wanted to share was just a brief update uh, about my eldest niece, um, Adelia. And it's the mixed bag of news. Uh, the first part is that a week or so back, uh, she had a, a series of scans that showed the cancer that she's struggling with has metastasized to her spine. Um, and from a medical perspective, that is that takes a bad prognosis and makes it quite a bit worse. Um, there's a new treatment plan evolving. Um, I won't go into all the details of that, but on the, on the positive side, Terry and I were able to go down to Massachusetts yesterday and spend a few hours with her in the morning. And, uh, we both felt that in spite of the prognosis or the development, we felt that her, her spirit was, was brighter and, and more, um, what we remembered of her pre-diagnosis self. She was engaged, she was chatty, she was giggly, she would like to tell and be part of jokes. She liked to play backgammon. Um, and <clears throat> it was a real gift that we got to do that with her. Um, when I got the news about the spread of the, of the cancer I, that night, it really, for me, uh, you know, hit hit me at a, at a at a deeper level, and and on one level, we're all we're all facing something terminal, and I, and I don't mean to be cliche about this, that the or to minimize any any particular manifestation of pain, suffering, illness. But as Dharma teachers have said to me, uh, when we arrive and receive a birth certificate, we should also receive a death certificate. Um, and I think that was part of what catapulted uh, a man over 2,500 years ago, known as Gotama or Siddhartha, Siddhartha Gotama, who, when he realized that his own nature was to get older to get it to become ill to die it was a confrontation with those conditions of life that put him into a, a profound personal crisis of meaning making how do i find meaning what do i do with my life in light of these ultimate realities how do I live? And he went off and um, 
something I'm grateful for, found a path. He found a path of practice that helped him and many others come to terms with these realities. And so it's one thing to talk about a physical cancer that afflicts individuals or and, and, and uh, families across cultures, across economic lines, the cancer can affect anybody. But it's another thing to, you know, to maybe think about what I might refer to, or I'm sure other people have referred to it as social cancer. Cancers in our psychology that are equal opportunity, they can infect anybody, they can infect any group. Uh, and these cancers that contribute or are the cause of human conflict. And I want to, as I prepared for today's talk, I want to speak about some themes that I think are relevant to human conflict um, and try to put those themes uh, that I'm reflecting on in context with some questions and uh, reflections that were offered and brought to this within the Sangha a few weeks back. You'll recall that I've been spending the last couple of sessions talking about um, the little vignette of me becoming a cookie monster in relationship to my my other one of my other nieces when she visited Maine. I won't go into those details again, but I specifically use that that simple story, that that simple example, to open up some themes. The idea being that if we can't talk about those themes in relationship to Josh's three-year-old niece visiting, how are we going to ever talk about those themes when they relate to much wider and bigger and broader and more entrenched forms of conflict? Um, so one of the shares uh, a few, from a few weeks back expressed that uh, when I made a comparison, right, drew some parallels between the healing that I had experienced with my sister, with one of my sisters, that we that she and I had had a a 40 plus year relationship fraught with conflict of not speaking, of being estranged, or when we were together being pretty inflamed. And when I spoke about that and said that I was just uh, grateful and surprised and uh, delighted by the fact that our relationship was now, at this point in our lives, healing. And I could see in the, in the healing process that we were born into conflicts that our, our parents, our, our mother and father, were playing out. And of course, they were born into conflicts within their own families that they were playing out. And I was trying to suggest that we can get born into things that we don't understand. 
can get born into things we don't understand. And it can take a long time of reflecting, of asking questions, of trying to make sense. It can take a long time before any clarity on what we don't understand starts to um, become a little bit more clear. And the, I made a, a very quick sidestep from my interpersonal conflict with my sister to talking about the, the raging, ongoing conflict in the Middle East as an example of humans being born into conflicts. And how the conditions that they're born into often will feed an ongoing cycle. And one of the members here, um, who I appreciate very much, said that they didn't care for the comparison between my sibling conflict and the Middle East conflict. That the Middle East conflict was, as an example of horrific war is a, is a political conflict. It's an ideological conflict. It's an ethno-national conflict. It's a, it's a much bigger thing than conflict between two siblings. And I, I, I don't disagree with that. It is a different manifestation of conflict. Um, but what I think they do share, and this is, this is what I want to pick up on, is that if you look at any human conflict, whether it's between a brother and a sister, between feuding parents, whether it's between two neighbors, whether it's between two ethnic groups, racialized groups, political groups, There seems to be, in my, from my, how I see it, there seems to be what has been called the psychology of tribalism, which is a very, very old psychology, goes way back into our evolutionary record, that essentially sees and, and establishes the world along division lines of us versus them, me versus not me. And it's the elements, I want to be, try to be as simple as I can about this, but it's the elements of the psychology of tribalism that are like the, the first buds of a tumor that spread in the mind. They can infect any mind. History will show that. Equal opportunity infections. And as they infect individuals, the individuals so infected create political, economic, ideological, institutional, educational structures that can often reinforce and perpetuate 
the, psych the psychology of tribalism. So what I was trying to suggest is that psychology of tribalism, one way of thinking about it is that it, I see it as the, 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 pathology, the pathological DNA in the root of every heart and mind that um, has the potential to spread and uh, inflame into conflict. And last week, I mentioned just one of the cognitive biases. I, did, I mentioned one of the cognitive biases that um, is part of, you could say, a suite of biases that fuel the psychology of tribalism. And that one was, just to review, the bias of attribution error the tendency to explain bad behavior in the other as due to something about their disposition. That kid is crying because they're spoiled. When it's not your kid, when it's your kid, you might be more forgiving and explain why that behavior is occurring due to circumstances. Oh, they're crying because they're overtired. They're crying because they're fighting a cold. They're crying because they haven't had their regular meal yet. And I try to use that as a simple example. Um, and I leave it to you to listen to media, listen to commentary, listen to the world of opinion. And to hear how sometimes behavior is categorized or described as being a result of conditions, circumstances. And a lot of times it gets explained due to disposition. Those people there are evil. What does this have to do with the Dharma? The quotation I put into the newsletter yesterday was something to the effect that the mother of insight, the mother of wisdom, is predicated on the ability to cultivate and bring unbiased attention to our experience. And that is a question I have is, is that even possible? Is it possible to bring unbiased attention? At the very least, at the very least, if we're in, interested in, what, in, in exploring within our own laboratory of our practice, if we're interested in exploring what would it mean to have unbiased attention, we have to first, at least, I would say, come to terms with... Um, when the biases of the mind are sweeping us away? When do we, when do we get swept by a, a particular narrative or a particular thought or a particular view? When do we get swept away by that? So on one level, what I'm trying to say is that uh, it's, it's helpful to 
it's been helpful for me, I should say, it's been helpful for me to understand at an initial level, it's been helpful for me to intellectually learn about cognitive bias, to learn about what is attribution error, what is confirmation bias, what is loss aversion. How do these function through a wide range of human behavior? And in learning about that, uh, practicing the intention of unbiased attention as a way to deactivate those biases. So this is where I'm trying to thread a few themes here, but I'm trying to thread the relationship between the real simplicity of what we do in Dharma practice, that simplicity being we show up with an intention. And that intention can be articulated in many different ways. Recently, I've been trying to suggest one way of articulating a, a dharmic intention is to be present and to know when you're awake and to know when you're swept away. And you can, you can track that by simply giving your, yourself a little quote-unquote experiment of understanding your mind. Bring your attention to something in the body that's here and now, such as the breath or your hands, and notice the 10,000, 20,000 times your, your quote-unquote mind awakens to being with something else. And I say quote-unquote your mind because how much do you want to identify with something you have very little control over? <laughs> It's, we think we're in charge of our mind. We think we have this sacrosanct agency, like, oh, you know, I'll be able to be, I'm the boss of this situation. For me, meditation, on one level, is a strong, for me, has been a strong um, a strong drubbing of that perception. It has disabused me of that kind of hubris or arrogance that I'm in control of my mind the way I think I am. And that's just from you know, that insight can, can flash your, your, the, the very first time anyone meditates. And most people don't like that, that feedback that their mind is rather chaotic, out of control. And I think it takes a rare person to actually try to settle into that and, and to get to know and understand that. But this is why um, the theme that I reflected on in the newsletter yesterday about practice is related to the theme of pausing and the, and the, and the utilitarian value of skillfully, sincerely knowing how to pause, 
knowing ways of pausing, whether it's pausing while you're walking your dog, whether it's pausing after you brushed your teeth, whether it's pausing in the middle of a heated conversation with the person you care about, different ways of learning how to pause so that the biases of attribution error in particular can stand a chance of being interrupted. The flood of these biases can be interrupted or held in check. And in being held in check, allowing for a, a different kind of wisdom to emerge. So the um, person who I mentioned earlier, who was, you know, didn't care for my the relationship between the, the connection I was making between sibling conflict or family conflict and national conflict. Um, they raised a very important question, um, and I don't have the best answer right now, but the, the important question that I heard when I reviewed the shares a few from a few weeks back, again, remember I was, I was speaking about a niece who's a three-year-old and was upset that I ate her cookie. Didn't want to, she didn't want to share her cookie with me. And if you didn't hear that talk, check out last week's um, version of it. But the question that the member raised was, how do I exercise? How do I exercise being humane, patient, empathetic, or tolerant with three-year-old behavior in adults, and by extension of that, or in social situations, social groups? How do I exercise and be humane, patient, and empathetic with behavior that is pretty difficult to be with or impossible to be with. And I think this question is very, very much alive in my own practice and heart right now. It has been for a while, but with the, the growing tensions of political tribalism uh, here in the United States, elsewhere in the world, the growing threats of um, worldwide descent into industrialized armed conflict, Call it three-year-olds throwing sand in the sandbox might be too simplistic, probably is. But it's terrifying. And so how do we practice being with individuals or groups or nations that seem to operate from the moral developmental stage of a three-year-old. 
political theory, psychological theory, phil- uh, ph- uh, philosophical theory, would all have a lot to say about how do we educate, how do we grow, how do we develop citizens that are capable of transcending their inner three-year-old to become able to contribute to a society of generative well-being for everybody. We can get, you know, I'm not going to go there, but that's that's a direction of intellectual, uh, philosophical, psychological inquiry I think is very important. But as I wrote the question down, how do I exercise patience, humanity, empathy for three-year-olds out there? The contemplative in me sketched down the, the old Zen koan. So a koan, if you don't know that word, K-O-A-N, a koan is a strange, irrational question that cannot be answered by the rational mind. So an example would be, uh, what is the sound of a one-hand clap? <clears throat> and if you, in Zen, what you do is you meditate on a question like that for maybe a year or five years until it erodes your uh, dependence on rationality. It it undergir it under undermines your whole um, relationship to trying to be rational about things to the point that it precipitates a what is referred to as a transrational meaning it transcends rationality it doesn't disclude rationality but it come to a transrational insight a direct flash of knowing or gnosis that um, contains the answer but it's not a verbal answer it's a direct experiential insight And one of the famous koans uh, that relates this question of the three-year-old to me is, show me your face, as Zen master might say, show me your face before your grandparents were born. And some people are looking out of the corners of their eyes, some people are like looking down and their jaw goes slack, like, what the hell is he talking about? Show me your face before your grandparents were born. And knowing what that face is, knowing what that original face is, is a kind of mystical contemplative insight about the nature of being. And as I uh, mentioned in the newsletter, no teacher can give you insight. It's, and that, that's something I've always appreciated about Dharma, the, uh, or the, Buddha, the world of Buddha Dharma. Teachers can't 
give you answers. They can't give you the insight. All they can do is give you ways of looking, ways of experimenting with yourself to come to the direct insight so that you literally birth the insight in your own laboratory. So the, the phrase that I borrowed from Socrates is that teachers, spiritual friends are like midwives standing by supporting the birth of insight in those that are brave enough to run the experiment. So we'll come into a sitting shortly, and I just want to try to put some of this reflection into a, I call it a point or a prompt for practice. And the prompt for practice might be something like, if you want to know your original face, not just the face you had before your grandparents were born, but before the Big Bang itself. The first order of business is to check the runaway attention. When your mind is getting pulled and swinging from thought to thought or is swept away by floods of memory and story, when that's occurring, there's no way you will ever remember your face as a three-year-old. So the, the, the first order of business in any contemplative path is learning how to stop, hold and check the runaway floods. And Buddhism has many ways of doing that, but the simplest is touch into your body, feel and check in with your body. The body is always right here. So our, the classes we offer in the Sangha, we hope you can start to feel the synergy of the practices we share, but yin yoga, yang yoga, qigong, the embodied practices are very much trying to provide ways of coming to the body, to know that you're in the body, to appreciate that you're in the body, and not being swept. And once you're in the body, once you're knowing that you're in the body and not swept away, the second order of business, if you want, if you're interested in remembering your original face, knowing the face you had before your grandparents were born, if I were to give you a, as a friend or as a midwife here, if I were to say, if you want, if you're interested in that, be curious, get interested in the silence between your thoughts. Just look into the silence between your thoughts. I'm not saying don't have thoughts. I'm not saying stop your thoughts. I'm not saying be a person who has only rosy thoughts and get rid of all the evil, ugly thoughts you don't want to share. 
whatever thoughts are there, for better or worse, become interested in the silence. Okay, I hope you um, enjoy that talk. I hope the prompt to notice the space, the silence, the stillness between your thoughts, either before your thoughts or after your thoughts, or within your thoughts, I hope that um, that prompt evokes a recognition of what the, in Zen they call your original face. Now, it may take some practice, and that's why uh, we have the practice Sangha. We have a, uh, an online community of practitioners to help support everyday ongoing practice. It's really the continuity of practice, or as what Upandita would say, it's the moment-to-moment -moment momentum of practice that precipitates awakening, that precipitates real insight. Um, now this is an ongoing process for all of us, so we all need that support. And if you would like the support, do check out the Riverbird Song in the show notes. Um, and also check out our new training that Terry and I are going to be offering. You'll be hearing more about that soon on the podcast. But the new training, Purifying Water, the Flow of Qi Cultivation. We have some really interesting tools uh, that we're excited to share with you, namely the power of yang yoga to safely stabilize and mobilize the body, which helps move the qi well, combined with the tool or practice of self-massage with gua sha, um, which is an a ancient Chinese system or ancient Chinese tool for gently scraping parts of the body to encourage lymphatic drainage and lymphatic flow, purifying the lymphatic system so that our qi flows much better, um, and our health can improve in that way. And that's a foundation for our, our prana or our chi to flow more smoothly as we breathe. And all of that helps us enter a flow state of being in a low-key low way throughout our life. So if you're interested in a flow state or flow experience of life, you'll be interested in this training. We look forward to working with you and seeing you then. But, um, you know, as I... Listen to folks in the Sangha today, in the shares. Um, it's clear, you know, dukkha, we're born into dukkha, and everybody's experiencing their version of it right now, whether it's personal health, health of a loved one or a family member, uh, just difficult conditions in life, um, the, the state of international affairs and the, the outcropping of wars everywhere. There's a lot to be rattled and unmoored by, and we definitely feel the, Terry and I both feel, uh, the, 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 the force of these winds right now, or the force of these floods. And um, the answer is, uh, on one level, to dig deep into practice and bring our practice with as much of a whole integral bloom into our life as possible. Um, we really feel uh, that deep aspiration. So thank you for your practice. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. Thank you for sharing the podcast with friends. And I look forward to seeing you in more episodes soon. Stay tuned. Stay safe. Keep practicing. And I'll look forward to, you, look forward to seeing you in the next episode. All my best.